I'm half Dominican. My pops is the Dominican one, my mom is Colombian. But up until this year, 2022, I had never been to the Dominican Republic. Not once. It took me 34 years to finally visit the island that my grandmother was born on. The island where my pop spent his summers growing up, riding horses. He even opened up a roller skating rink there. And it took me 34 years to open the door on the history of this country, to learn what's really in my blood. But this year, something pretty special happened. I made a podcast, another one. Besides this one, it's called Rubirosa. It's about a man named Porfirio Rubirosa. He was the real-life Dominican playboy and diplomat that inspired the character of James Bond. Now, obviously, I gotta tell you to go listen to it. So just scroll right on this very feed and start with Rubirosa, episode one, Haunted. You're gonna love it. Making that podcast was a dream come true for me. I've been obsessed with Ruby Rosa's life for the last 10 years. I also wrote a play about him, a play I've gotten to perform all across the country. And in all my years of research, I started to unpack the history of not just the DR, but its neighbor, Haiti. These two nations that have a shared past and present that's, to say the least, complicated. One of the amazing people who has taught me the most about all of this is France Francois. If you listen to Ruby Rosa, you might recognize her voice. If you can like sum it up in a sentence, the DR celebrates its independence from Haiti, not from Spain. Why do you think that is? Anti-blackness. <laughs> France is a Haitian activist and historian who can break it down, y'all. When we spoke for the Ruby podcast, I learned so much from her about the island of Hispaniola and its history. Like how that history mirrors the history of white supremacy all over the world. But we couldn't fit that entire conversation in that show, so we put it in this show. I needed y'all to hear more, get to know France a little better, and hear about her organization's amazing work. We are really focused on reclaiming our history and building bridges where other people have built barriers. France's organization, In Cultured Co., hosts workshops that help re-educate Dominicans, Haitians, and anyone else who's lucky enough to attend. Today, that's all of us. Join me as I sit down with France Francois to learn more about how she found her passion for educating people about her home country and what she thinks the world needs to know about the past and present of the DR in Haiti. My name is Christopher Rivas, and this is Brown Enough, stories between black and white. Here we go. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just 
life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. French Francois is a dope name. Uh, what's you. the story behind it? Is there one? Haitian parents. <laughs> there's there's no story with how Haitian parents give you names. They're just like, I I like this. This is it. It was either France or Manushka. So Manushka. Yeah. yeah. That sounds Russian to me. Yeah, there was like a spate of Manushkas in my generation. So I went to school with like three Haitian girls named Manushka. It was like a really popular name in the 80s for Haitian girls. I I don't know. There's probably some Cold War like story behind that. I don't know. I love that. France's activism is rooted in her blood. Her parents were political activists during the Duvalier regime. Thousands of citizens were killed under the dictatorship of Francois Duvalier. Many Haitians seek asylum in other countries to escape the violence, including France's parents, who were granted asylum in the U.S. and moved to Miami. I, I grew up in a very Haitian community. I don't think I knew I wasn't in Haiti until years later. Like, I just assumed huh. I was in Haiti. Like, my teachers were Haitian. The church was Haitian. The police officers were Haitian. Um, and so I was constantly surrounded by a Haitian community that affirmed my identity. But when I saw maps of Haiti, there was nothing on on the on the side of it. There was no D- DR, so I didn't know actually that we shared an island until I got much older um, and met Dominicans who had grown up in the DR. And my experience with them was very different than my experience with. Dominican kids that I'd grown up with who had been born and raised in the in the U.S. And so that was when I realized that there was something else there. But it, it wasn't important at, for me at the time because the Dominican Republic doesn't play a significant part in Haitian history or, or Haitian identity. So, you know, it was, it was kind of like your neighbor that you never see kind of thing. Like, maybe they're home, maybe they're not. I don't know. The lights are on. Do you feel super, I imagine, I I don't want to, you know, like, do you feel super grateful for being in that entirely Haitian community growing up? Yeah, I think it was very important to not only have grown up in a Haitian community, but also have grown up in Miami in an era that um, reaffirmed our multicultural identities in a way that is likely not the experience of other other immigrant groups. So when I was younger and went to public school in Miami, we went to school in the morning in English. And then in the afternoons, the the Haitian kids would have Creole classes and the um, Spanish-speaking Latinx kids would have classes in in Spanish. And Miami also at that time had gone out of its way to also have diverse teachers. So I had grown up always having black teachers. So it it was important in that like my identity was very much solidified by the time I was exposed to white America. Like I knew who I was. I didn't have any questioning of, of my place in the world or my people's place in history. France's people's history, like mine, is rooted on the island of Hispaniola. Unlike France, though, for most of my life, I had no idea about this history. In fact, my conversation with her was the first time I learned the details of just how intertwined Haiti and the DR actually are. 
Now, we're not going to go too deep into it in this episode. If you want to know more, I highly recommend you go check out the Ruby podcast, specifically episode four. We lay out the history of Hispaniola in that episode in a lot of detail. Here, I'll just tell you some basics that I learned from France. First, it is important to recognize just how linked Haitians and Dominicans are. The people of Hispaniola are all a mix of indigenous Tainos, who were mostly wiped out by Christopher Columbus, and Africans originally brought to the island as enslaved people. And finally, the Europeans who colonized the island. Whether you're seen as Haitian or Dominican has more to do with how dark your skin is, what language you speak, and which half of the island you happen to grow up on. Second, the story that most Dominicans have about Haiti is just wrong. Many Dominicans learn that Haiti has been a hindrance to Dominican independence, when really, Haiti has actually been a huge help. Haiti helped the DR end slavery and kick out the Spanish colonizers. And then after Dominicans weirdly invited Spain back to rule, Haiti helped the DR again and prevented the reinstitution of slavery. To this day, the DR celebrates its independence from Haiti, not from colonial Spain. Pretty messed up. France learned about this history herself when she went back to Haiti as an adult. So after the earthquake in Haiti, um, I had just finished my master's in international development and conflict resolution. And I was actually studying peace and conflict resolution in the Middle East and had been living and working in Egypt and realized the Middle East was not for me. Um, but there was so much work in my own country of birth to be done. So I went back to Haiti and was working in Haiti when I got a call from someone who was working on the border. And they essentially said, friends, we are seeing thousands and thousands of Haitians fleeing the DR with whatever they can carry on, on their back. And we need your help making sure that people know about this because we're afraid this is going to be 1937 all over again. If you listen to Ruby Rosa, you know what France is referring to when she says 1937. That was the year that Dominican dictator Rafael Trujillo carried out a massacre that some estimate killed about 20,000 Haitians. France's colleagues were seeing similar race-based violence on the border just a few years ago. And so that actually began my deep dive into um, Haitian-Dominican history and, and, and the conflicts that exist in DR within itself that manifests as, as anti-Haitianismo. And um, with that, that incident was really the, the launch pad of what was called La Sentencia. So the Dominican Republic retroactively stripped Haitians or people of Haitian descent of their citizenship going back all the way back to four generations. Then they started these Pro programs of, of ethnic cleansing, of really pushing out anyone who is perceived to be Haitian, meaning anyone who just happens to be dark-skinned outside, and just picking them up and, and dumping them in Haiti, burning down their houses, stealing their crops, uh, and all types of other, other, other violence. And so I was really intrigued by how big Haiti loomed in the Dominican imagination, whereas I as a Haitian, had never really grown up knowing anything about Dominicans. And that really became, like, the precipice for all of this work. And the idea behind Encultured Company has always been we 
realized in 2015 that the Haitian and Dominican elite are very much invested in this current narrative of conflict. It serves their pockets. It serves their power. It serves their their means of control. So they're they're not going to change it. So rather than focus on a, a top-down approach, uh, we thought it would be good to change the narrative from the grassroots and give people their history back because uh, knowing your history is a, is a form of power. Knowing where you come from and who's always stood by you is a, is a form of power. And the Dominican people are easy to control because they don't know oftentimes where they come from and who they are or their history of rebellion. When I first got in touch with you, uh, we did a pre-interview where you said, only if you're willing to go there. What did you mean? Yeah, I think that... Oftentimes, people do not want to challenge their own reality, right? You you see this with white liberals. Like, they'll put the Black Lives Matter sign in their yard, but they're, they're, they're not really trying to pay reparations. They're not, you know, hiring Black people at their jobs. They, they'll still lock their doors or grab their purses when Black people come around. So... it's important to know if somebody is willing to do the work or if this is a performance and a a waste of time of of those of us who are, you know, in this fight day to day. And so that's where those, those questions came from. I think that, like, the work is a journey and people are at different places in their journey. And it requires that you confront your own biases and your own prejudices and the ways that you have benefited from systems of oppression and unearned privilege. And people are not often willing to do that. So I wanted to see if you were willing to do that work. You said earlier that you planned on working in the Middle East uh, after school. Why Middle East? I was really interested in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and conflict resolution in general. and then I realized I had a conflict right here on my own back door, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so I didn't have to go so far. But the, like, I, I think I had a very romanticized idea of what I could do with my Western education to, quote-unquote, help those people. Um, and one of the things that I learned working in international development is that, one, ain't nobody waiting for you to save them. Like, people know what they need. They've already they already have the plan. All sometimes all they need for you to do is shut up and write a check so they can go on about their business and do it. And two, it is only those people themselves that can shift the course that they're on. So whether it's Haitians and Dominicans, um, you know, Ethiopians, Eritreans, Israeli Palestinians, North and South Koreans, whoever, it, it's is it's up to us. It's really up to us. No one else can can um, create a different future for us. Is conflict conflict? Like, is the Israel-Palestine conflict similar to the DR Haiti? Is conflict conflict, or is it uniquely different? Are your skills applicable to any conflict? Conflict is cultural. What what is what fuels conflict is very different in different ways. And so when we were first thinking about our signature workshop, Decolonizing Hispaniola, 
um, one of the one of the things that I did was um, take lessons from the Israelis and Palestinian professors that I'd had in in grad school, and then tailor that to the Haitian and Dominican context. And so, one of the things that I was taught from the onset was that you can't even talk about reconciliation until you have a shared understanding of history. And that, they told us, was just like the core and the foundation. So we, when we put on Decolonizing Hispaniola, we do something that, quite frankly, I don't think anyone else has done before, but we've created a shared Haitian and Dominican historical narrative. Um, Because, like, Haitian history is taught as Haitian history, and Dominican history is taught as Dominican history. But as we discussed earlier, a lot of what happened on one side of the island, of course, influenced what was happening on the other. You can't tell one story without the other. Then the story's incomplete. And so that is, like, the very first thing that people who come through our workshop experience is that that reshaping of the narrative um, that, that, you know, decolonization of history and with then with that shared narrative, we start doing the work towards reconciliation and thinking of a different future, but not until then. And that's so true about conflict, right? Like whether it's like Michael and, and, and Jeremy on the block uh, or two nations, each side has a very different story. Is that is that is, is that universally true? Yeah, I mean, look at look at um, the U.S. I went to school in, in the South, and uh, I I remember, you know, having white teachers telling us that the Civil War was fought over states' rights, right? Now, if you go to school in the North, you, you're told that the Civil War was fought over slavery. This is the same event. This is the same people, yet the narrative is really, really different. And I would argue that the U.S., too— cannot get to a point of of reconciling with its own racist past until it has a shared historical narrative, until it's able to confront its history of, of violence and the state's role in that that violence and perpetuating racism. So until that's that's done, you'll you'll continue to see um, things like pushback against critical race theory, for example, because people are resisting knowing the truth. And without the truth, we we can't get anywhere. The truth is exactly what France teaches people in her workshops with Encultured Co. Back in the fall of 2021, France put on one of these workshops in New York City. I really wanted to be there, but I couldn't make the trip work. So instead, I sent my producer, Baudelaire. Baudelaire is Haitian, so he was definitely up to learning from France. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll hear more from France and Baudelaire about the Decolonizing Hispaniola workshop and its impact. (laughs) 
Hey, I'm Ruben. My band and I have a new song. I'm also a tow truck driver. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I get to go home at the end of the day and see my bandmates. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Pick up your ultimate DIY companion with a skill power tool at Menards. With power and precision at your fingertips, tackle any project with ease. From drilling to sawing, sanding to driving, skill has you covered. Engineered for efficiency and durability, skill power tools deliver quality results every time. Say big on skill power tools. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. And we're back. A big part of the work that France's organization and Cultured Co. does is host these workshops. They're called Decolonizing Hispaniola. It's a whole day workshop where France and her colleagues lay out the real history of the island. Then they facilitate conversations with participants about how that history is still impacting people today. Who is at your Decolonizing Hispaniola workshop and how do they get to your door? How do they find it? Yeah. Um, so we typically have a room of half Haitians, half Dominicans, as well as allies um, who just kind of want to sit in on the conversation. People usually find us through social media at inculturedco um, or also our website, inculturedco.org, um, when they're interested in our, our events and act- activities. Do you have a success story that you always reference? After one of your decolonizing Hispaniola workshops? Yeah. One of my favorites is that our, our very first decolonizing Hispaniola, I remember we we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know if anybody was going to show up. <laughs> like We were just like, all right, we're going to put it on social media and see, see what happens. Um, and we opened a door, and there's like a line wrapped around outside. And we're like, wow. Uh, and so we we facilitate these small group sessions um, during the workshop where like people are really encouraged to kind of talk about what's coming up for them in the room. And there was a woman who had brought her son. Boy, was about 10. And she had not said anything throughout the entire workshop. Everyone else had been really engaged, like sharing a lot, like having these really deep conversations. And she'd just kind of been a fly on the wall. She was in the group that I was facilitating. And um, as a facilitator, I tried to draw her in the conver- into the conversation um, and asked about her experience. And she she just starts crying. She just bursts out in tears. And she says something that I'll never forget. She says, when you guys talked about the Parsley Massacre, I know it's true. I know it happened because my father burned the bodies. And we were shocked. (laughs) Like, we we could not say anything. Um, 
And what we typically do with small groups is that um, the groups are mixed, Haitian and Dominican. And so we did not know how the Haitians would would react to this. Like she just admitted that her father participated in ethnic cleansing and genocide. And she continues to speak. She says her father was Trujillo's right-hand man in the military, and he had raised her to be anti-Haitian and anti-Black. She couldn't, she couldn't even let Black people into her house growing up. And she said, I brought my son here today because I don't want to pass on that trauma. I want to leave that legacy with my father. And everybody just got up and hugged her. And afterwards, she told us that she had been carrying that for almost four decades. Like, she had never said it out loud. And she felt so much lighter having been just accepted in that space and be able to lay down that burden and not take it out with her and not pass it on to her son and continue the generational trauma. So that is the change that we're trying to make here. Damn. It's really beautiful what France is doing for Hispaniola. And to see that impact live is why I need to attend one of France's workshops. But unfortunately, they haven't made it out to the West Coast just yet. But like I mentioned before, my producer Baudelaire is Haitian and he lives on the East Coast. After he got back from France's workshop, we had a quick chat about what made the experience so powerful for him. I'm sorry, you said it was a four or five hour workshop? No, no, no. The whole workshop's like eight, like eight hours, maybe nine. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like, I was, the thing is, too, quickest nine hours of my life. Like, we got there nine o'clock in the morning, 9 30, left at like five. And it was like, damn, yo, we got to leave. Like, it was just so much love. Like, everybody <laughs> was in there. It was just so, wow. so much love. And like, so for the first four hours of it, though, it's kind of like France and her co uh lecturer kind of going back and forth and after we broke out into groups of eight and we're all in different corners of the room and the groups mostly split along the lines of like half Haitian half Dominican of course some groups had were more Dominican but like um and we were all just talking there was like prompts but we didn't even need the prompts because of what we all just heard like we all just went in and was just like man like me personally I told the group, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, my whole life, you know, my dad, I don't want to make it seem like my dad, like, you know, talks about Dominicans all the time. But when referenced, my dad is like, yo, no, Dominicans are, to me, what white people are to, to black Americans. You know what I'm saying? So I kind of, I kind of carried that. But then I'm in this workshop and I'm like, yo, my dad kind of is perpetuating some colonial bullshit that like, I got to let go of too. You know what I'm saying? We family. And we have to like, be radically familial. You know what I'm saying? Like, no matter, like, the island was one country, and we could we should almost move like it still is. And I, list, I lifted my own personal um, restriction on going to DR. Uh, I had told myself that I would mm. never go to DR because I felt like, y'all, I'm not going somewhere and giving money to a system that, that would oppress me if I wasn't coming via the United States. You know what I'm saying? If if we stayed in Haiti and I came straight from Haiti, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be accepted. So let me not go. But the workshop taught me like, you know, that's just some colonial bullshit that I'm holding on to. And, you know what I mean? There's people, uh, there's a bunch of people in the DR that agree with me. You know what I'm saying? That have the same ideology. Hmm. Wow. 
That's uh, it's interesting. I I do look at I do look at the Dominicans as the as the prosec- as like the as the prosecutors, you know, mm-hmm. like the bad people. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting to hear you say like, "Oh, I have to move on to or like I have to." I think kind of like what I told France when we talked, like, you know, her work saves Haitian lives, but it saves Dominican souls. You know what I'm saying? It saves Dominican spirits. Like we really could we 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 need to squash this for both of our well-being. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's kind of like uh, James Baldwin says, like, white racism hurts white people, ultimately. You know what I'm saying? It's their, it's their souls being poisoned by this. So that's my biggest takeaway of it, man. It, it, I'm in that group, and there's this dude as dark as me. And the whole time, he didn't say nothing. I'm like, oh, he's one of the Haitians, right? And he starts talking about, like, he's like, yeah, so my abuela. I'm like, whoa, what the? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, where are you, you Dominican? You know, and like, I realized when he when he said that, I'm like, yeah, I was carrying the bullshit too, making it seem like Dominicans can't be my color. You know? So man, it was it was it was amazing. That was like, I'll go if she had another one like next week, I I'll be like, yeah, no, we need it. We need to hit it up. Man, it's crazy the effect that community can have. Baudelaire was against going to the DR at all before checking out Decolonizing Hispaniola. And now, he recognizes where that feeling came from. For the record, I completely understand how he felt about not going to the DR. And though Haitians have work to do, let's be honest, the brunt of the work is definitely on the Dominican side. You shared something with me that I thought was incredible. It was called the Dominican Fragility Test. Uh, I just think... Everybody needs to take a fragility test when they walk in the door. Like most rooms could afford to just have people uh, do that test. What is the Dominican fragility test? Sure. Um, We noticed this really interesting thing that would happen on social media. Dominicans who consider themselves good Dominicans, you know, will come and find ways to justify or dismiss or minimize these things because— for them to acknowledge it happens, again, would it mean that they would have to acknowledge their role in upholding these systems of oppression. And so in the comments, you'll see that some people are like, well, um, we can't allow the country to be overpopulated. You know, and, and even the, the wording of saying, uh, and the coded racial language of Black women overpopulating a nation is problematic. You see people oftentimes will say that, well, the DR has been helping Haiti and and we just can't take the burden anymore. Again, the burden of, of Black people, like Black people being a burden. This year, the president of the DR, a Lebanese Dominican who looks white, by the way, started building a wall. Yes, a wall. On the border with Haiti, It's just what France said. In the public eye, the reasons for this wall are all about preventing migration and negative economic impacts. Sound familiar? But a lot goes unsaid. There's all this, like, coded, racialized language that that Dominicans who consider themselves good people, like, this isn't the, the far right folks, this, you know, this, this isn't the, the blatantly racist. Like, these are, are people who think of themselves as good people in their heart, will use this language 
and display this fragility because they just cannot reconcile who they think they are with the the very blatant violations that are are happening in front of them. And so rather than like answer all of these comments one by one, we just created the Dominican fragility test and we point these people to it and we're like you deal with this. Like look at this checklist and see how you're you're displaying problematic behavior. Immigrants come to the U.S. Uh, and they often choose like one of two paths, right? Uh, remain connected to the homeland, uh, continue to improve it and stay connected or immerse themselves in their new country and their new place. And so they disconnect from where they came from. Do you, did you ever consider the latter or was it because you sort of grew up in Miami and this all Haitian place that you felt like you were always connected to it? Did you have friends who you felt like took the other path? Oh, for sure. I I think it's important to note that anti-Haitianismo isn't just a Dominican phenomenon. It is uh, more violent and more deadly in the DR, but it's not only in the DR that, that this happens because internalized anti-Blackness is just a product of post-colonialism. Like, we all, we all suffer from it. And there's no for most people from Latin America and Caribbean, there's no more visual representation of Blackness other than Haiti, right? Um, Whether that's in your mind, good or bad. And so when I was growing up as a kid um, in Miami, and I know this was the same for Haitians who grew up in New York or Canada, um, there were things like beat up a Haitian day. And it was always, always the people who looked just like us the African-Americans, the Jamaicans, who would um, attack us and see us as a representation of the Blackness that they didn't want to be reminded of. And so when I was growing up, there were two ways that Haitian kids dealt with that. Some kids tried to change their their last name and um, hide their accents and things like that and disassociated with their Haitian roots. And then there were other of us who banded together um, and threw hands. So I, I think that the process of assimilation, the experience of immigrants anywhere, is, is a process of both losing yourself and finding yourself. And some people do that in different ways. Decolonize is a very uh, popular word right now. What does it mean to you in one sentence? That's a great question. I think it means shedding the narratives that keep us from freedom and keep us from knowing who we are. Shedding the narratives that keep us from freedom. Shedding the narratives that keep us from knowing who we are. Beautiful. Do you think Dominicans have a responsibility Uh when it comes to Haiti? A responsibility, no. Because I, I think that plays onto the the talking points of the right that, that Haiti is DR's quote-unquote burden, you know, the supposed white man's burden of the supposed white man of the DR. Um, so I don't think that Dominicans have a responsibility towards Haitians, but I I do think Dominicans have um, an obligation to uphold 
basic human rights and basic decency towards anybody. And it is that lack of acknowledgement of the humanity of Haitians that is not only the detriment um, of Haitians in the DR, but it's also the detriment of Dominicans themselves because the the people who suffer the most in the DR will always be the poorest, will always be the people at the bottom, and that will always be Black people, whether they're, they're Dominican or Haitian. So I think the obligation is not only to us, but to themselves to see us as brothers and then work in solidarity with us to shape a different future. Shaping a different future starts with all of us. France is doing the work, and she's going to keep doing the work, but it's not on her alone to fix the issues of Hispaniola, to fix anti-Haitianismo, or the general anti-Blackness that exists across Latin America, and the world. That work belongs to us also. And I know I'm going to continue to consciously recognize and call out anti-Blackness when I see it. I hope you will too. So please... Please, please, please check out France and her work on Instagram at inculturedco. Sign up for a workshop, share it with a friend, or hey, make a donation. A little goes a long way. A lot goes even longer. Next time on Brown Enough, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Saudi Garcia, except this time we'll learn the perspective and experience of Dominicans. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas, and I'm also an executive producer. This episode was produced by Baudelaire. Our team includes producer Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabrielle Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Kevin Tidmarsh. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe, y'all, or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. And if you got a minute, leave us a review. A nice one. It goes a long way. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher. I'm Josie. My daughter turns five today. I'm also an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can get home to celebrate with my daughter. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Pick up your ultimate DIY companion with a skill power tool at Menards. With power and precision at your fingertips, tackle any project with ease. From drilling to sawing, sanding to driving, skill has you covered. Engineered for efficiency and durability, skill power tools deliver quality results every time. Say big on skill power tools. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big.